Hey, it's good to see you this morning. We are glad that you are here. Thank you for being here this morning. Those of you who are joining us in, uh, on campus, those of you who are joining us through church at home, hey, we are glad that you're here too. So grab your Bibles, your devices, turn to the book of 1 Peter today. 1 Peter chapter 2, we start with verse 13 in a moment. Last week, Nathan did a very capable job in those first 12 verses of 1 Peter chapter 2. And so we want to continue in that teaching to finish up this verse together today. And so what we realize as we study through these verses together and so far, that Peter refers to us as elect exiles. And what he's saying to us is as we live in between these hopes of that of the gospel and what Christ has done in our life and that of the return of Christ at second advent, as we live in the middle of those two hopes within our lives, that what we understand is that we find ourselves in moments where the world is hostile to our faith as exiles. And so what Peter has been talking with us about is how do we respond in those moments when the world is hostile to us? And so doesn't change. His topic doesn't change as we go into this second part of chapter 2. But what he does, he takes a moment and he talks to us about three relationships that can really challenge us in this life as exiles. Three relationships. And the first one he talks to us about is that of our relationship with, and I'll just use the terms that he uses, the emperor or that of authority in our life. So our relationship with authority in our life. And then the second one is this. He talks to us about our relationship with what he calls unjust earthly masters. And that is those moments in our life when we are suffering or we are victims of injustice, when we are simply uh, suffering from that of, of being marginalized in life, when we find out that we're not being treated fairly in situations, then how do you and I as believers, how do we respond to those moments? And then the third one, and which is set, found in chapter 3 for next week, is that how do we navigate this relationship of being married to an imperfect person, right? And, and so now, after Reba's been up here, who did a great job, both services, you know that I'm extremely imperfect. But she, she did let you know that I'm only bad at one thing. Isn't that amazing? Yes. So I feel really good about myself today. I am now like 10 foot tall standing up here. Can I tell you? No, that's one, many other things. So don't worry about that. There's many other things in the list. So next week we talk about what it's like to be married to an imperfect person. I know that you cannot wait to get back next week as we share this. But as exiles, we can expect unfair and unjust treatment in this life. It's going to happen. When we look at the life of Christ and we see when Christ walked through that recorded in the Gospels, we see the treatment that he received. So we can expect that in this world. And it's going to be hostile to our faith and our belief system at times. But here Peter brings this thought into a very personal arena of our lives. He brings it down to relationships of our lives. He says, how do you respond to authority in your life? How do you respond to your government in your life? How do you respond to that of those moments when you are subjected to unjust treatment? How do you respond to your marriage? And, and so he brings it into these very uh, down-to-earth moments in all of our lives. And I thought, after I read through this text and, and began to look at this, I thought, man, I should have given these two weeks to Nathan and Matthew. I should have, right? It, I, I shouldn't be talking about this to you. No, I should have elected those two exiles to preach this to you this morning because these are some difficult things to talk about. 
So I want you to not draw an assumption right at the beginning of the teaching this morning. I want you to open your hearts and your minds to what, not what Mark is saying, but what the Holy Spirit is speaking to you about these three types of relationships with your life. Because he's talking about three types of relationships, but there's one simple but yet powerful principle that he gives to you and I. That's how I react to those moments in this world when I am treated unjustly and unfairly. And how I respond to others when I see them being treated unjustly and unfairly. And that's what we're going to talk about for the next few minutes together. But let me pause for a moment to say to you that God is very much aware of the struggles in your life. God is very much aware of the tension of how we of what we feel living between the hope of what has already been done for us through the gospel and the hope of his soon coming that he knows how we live in these moments. And what I want to say to you is one is this that none of this is ever a surprise to God. Those moments when you are treated unfairly or unjustly, none of those are ever a surprise to God. And secondly, that none of your life is a random moment with God, that all of our life is lived through the hands of God. Understand that. So that all of this God is using within your life to proclaim the gospel to others. It's important that we get that picture, that he's doing his redemptive work even in the struggles of your life today. And so in saying that, what I would say to you is this, your behavior matters. That's important. Our behavior matters. How we navigate this world that is sometimes unfair and unjust to us, our behavior absolutely matters because we do everything for the sake of of the Lord. And, and, and you say, well, Mark, you started out. That was the title of this. You have notes this morning. You see that everything for the Lord's sake. Where does that come from? First Peter chapter two, verse 13. Here's what he says in verse 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake. I underline that. That's important because that sort of gives us the brush in which he paints the rest of his words to us this morning. He says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution whether it be to the emperor as supreme. And I take a pause for a point that the emperor during Peter's time is Nero. Just simply go to Google later on today, search Emperor Nero uh, in Rome, and you will read about him, and you will know of all of the emperors that Rome ever had, probably the cruelest, the most inhumane of all, and the one that hated Christians most of all. And so Paul is writing in the atmosphere of that, and he says, or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Subjection for the Lord's sake. So do this for me as a, an exercise for the whole room this morning. I want you to breathe in real deep. Breathe in real deep for me. Now exhale. Because I want you to relax for a minute. Because the Lord has some challenging words for you today. Peter has some challenging words for you this morning. Because when we read this text, we first think that somehow that God is calling us to some political passivity. That somehow that God is saying, oh, you know, or Peter is saying to us, well, this is the way you should live. Well, the Lord's going to come back someday, you know, and I'm going to sort of, I'm going to sort of fade into the background in this world and I'm going to hang out until Jesus comes back. And when Jesus returns to the second advent, he's going to let everybody know who's really in control of this world and then everything is going to be okay. Can I tell you one thing that you have to understand about the sovereignty of God? God is in control now. Did you know that? 
God is in control right now. Understand that. So don't think that God has somehow relinquished control of the world. That is not the case. God is in control now. So in light of all of that, this is not a teaching about self-preservation. It's not that at all. Look at verse 15. It really helps us to understand that. For this is the will of God. So there's no debate. We can't have a discussion and say, well, I'm not sure I believe this. or I believe this or not. It's not the case. It says, this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. And so what it is, it's an injunction for you and I as exiles to take an active role in the culture and the society in which we live. That's what it means. And it doesn't mean that you just take to social media making slanderous comments about leadership in our culture, and that's you taking an active role in this society. And I know in first service, it got very quiet when I said that. And it just got extremely quiet in here. Did you hear it? No, you couldn't hear anything, right? There's nothing being said. It's not because what he said, the phrase is that you're doing good. That is extremely important to understand for us this morning. As exiles in this world, we take an active role in our culture, our community, and our society to make the world a better place to live in until Christ returns. That's my responsibility. Still quiet. Man, i got to find something to say to make you say something, right? No, this is what Peter is saying. Peter is saying, hey, I know you're going to get quiet when we talk about stuff like this. So this is why he said, for this is the will of God. This is what God would have for us as we live through this life. And the motivation is much deeper than self-preservation here. It really is. It's not just me hanging out until the return of Christ. This is about obedience and my obedience being rendered for the sake of the Lord to authorities that are appointed over me. Is what he's saying. Why would I render obedience to authorities that are appointed over me? Because it shows to the world that you and I have a confidence in who is really in charge of things in this world. And that is our sovereign God. So he's really in control. So before you implode, before you finish that draft in your mind of the email that you want to send me this afternoon... And if you want to send it, wonderful. I would love to have a discussion with you. Here's what I believe Peter is saying. That we honor the Lord in a broken world by behaving in the appropriate way. We do. You know, growing up in church, I always really, and I hate is a strange word, and a a harsh word, but yes, I hated when preachers would always say, I know what you're probably thinking, because I thought, dude, you don't know what I'm thinking. You don't. What I'm thinking is, I wish you would be quiet so I could go to lunch. That's what I'm thinking, right? You don't know. No, can I tell you, I think I know what many of you are thinking in this room. And many of you are thinking, well, Mark, here's the thing. You know, I've not really broken any big laws, so I'm really good here. You know, everything is really good. And, and you know, I maybe have a, a few speeding violations or traffic violations, but, you know, everybody has those. And, and let, me, let me see, because we did this in first service. How many, of you in, how many of you in this room this morning, you have never had a traffic citation given to you? Raise your hand. Okay, there's, wow, good. Don't put your hands up. I want everybody else to see this. Yeah, they got to experience some guilt this morning. It's not church unless you have that, right? And so, just kidding. 
And, and put your hands down. That's amazing. Did you know there were only a, a few, like three or four people that raised their hands in the first service? So here's the thing. During first service, before and after, stay at home. Don't get out on the road. It's dangerous, right? Because those people are on the road. Yes. And we think, you know what? None of those things have really... I've made a few posts on social media that were kind of questionable maybe at times, but I've never done anything bad. Can I tell you that there's not a footnote at the bottom of this page under chapter 2. It says, oh, by the way, you know, Mark Gaskew is exempt from all words above. It doesn't say that. And it doesn't say that for any of you in this room. Because this is God's will, is what he's saying. And maybe you're sitting there thinking, well, I'm not as bad as the person sitting next to me. I'm not. You know, we make ourselves feel real good, don't we? Because we find someone that's worse off than we are. We compare ourselves to them. We become the standard. And we're feeling really good about ourselves, you know, because I'm not as bad as them. No, you can't take yourself out of this equation. Peter says this applies to all of us because this is the will of God that by doing good, by our actions, by our behavior, by our words, our very presence, that we silence the criticism of those that are hostile toward us. This is about an active role in my culture and my society to do good. It is. So here's what he says in verse 16. Live as people who are free. Not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil. And I thought, what does he mean by that? And so what he's saying is this to me, that we are freed for a purpose. Not my purpose, but we are freed for a purpose. But living as servants of God. That we are free people living as servants of God. And I thought, that is a very strange collection of words. That we're free people living as servants of God. What does he mean? He means that we willingly subject ourselves to earthly authority, not because of who we are, That's not what he's saying, but because of who we belong to. That changes everything because at redemption, uh, the management of our life changes. At at redemption, the supreme authority of our life has transitioned. Now we belong to God. So in in reality, the only ultimate authority in my life and your life as believers is Christ. He is our ultimate authority. To him is our ultimate allegiance. It is. As Christians, it's only to Christ. And from that allegiance to Christ being our ultimate authority, do we show respect for those that have authority over us in this world because God appointed them. So before I am an American, I'm a Christian. Before that. Say, Mark, that's unpatriotic. No, it's not. And you better never tell me that I'm not patriotic because I am patriotic. I am. There's a flag flying on the front of my house right now. I am. But understand this. Before I'm an American, I'm a Christian. I do. I have a I have a British brother here somewhere. There he is right up front. Our resident Brit. Yes. And I love it because before you are British, you are a Christian. Amen. Yeah, there you go. I got an amen from a Brit. That's wonderful. Yes, I love it. Yes, perfect. Yeah, this is a great day. Let's pray and leave before I make this worse, okay? Because I am going to make it worse. Understand that. Yeah, put your seatbelt on. It's about to get wild in here. It really is. That that's my old... So here is the thing. I respect authorities over me in this world. Understand that because Christ is my ultimate authority. So that means I honor leaders in this world. I respect law enforcement because of who I belong to. 
But, don't you love the buts? Don't you like the, the buts of the Bible? Aren't they great? Yes, but we can and we should be critical of policies that don't line up with God's words. That I should stand for people that are being marginalized and people that simply are being treated unfairly. That I should stand for the right to life for the unborn. That I should stand for the equality of all people. That I should stand for the sanctity of marriage in our country. That I should take stands for those things in my life. Yes, that's what I'm called to do. But simultaneously, I respect the office in which God has appointed leaders. How is that done? Would you like to know? Uh, because it seems impossible at times. By simply embracing the fact that there is one ultimate authority in my life. And that is the one true sovereign God. Can I make it worse? Yes, he didn't call me to slander leadership. Yet I can be critical of their unjust policies. Can I make it worse? Yeah, I'm going to make another step. Because I think what really shows our heart at times is that are we as quick? Are we as quick to praise just policies of some leaders as we are as quick to simply Criticize their unjust policies. Sit in that for a moment. That's kind of a, a juice you got to stew in for a minute, right? To think about it for a moment. Because I really think that, that shows our hearts. Verse 17. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Honor everyone and fear God. I think I'd make a great t-shirt. I really do. Honor everyone and fear God. Not just to honor. And, and look, he, he actually puts the emperor in this statement. Why? Because he's not just calling me to honor you and you honor me. He's not just calling us to honor fellow Christians. That's not what he's saying at all. We honor everyone. I've not been given the latitude as a believer to simply dishonor people that are different than me or have different opinions than I do or look different than I do or come from different places than I come from. I've never been given that latitude to do that as a believer. He didn't place that in my repertoire to do that. So I, when it comes to non-believers, I can't do that. Or when it becomes the persecutors, those that have wronged me are, are treating me unfairly, I can't do that. When it comes to people of other faiths, I can't do that. I can't. When it comes to people of other sexual orientations or political parties that sometimes in this culture we have equated with Christianity, I can't do that. Mark, you're yelling. I know. I'm excited about that. I really am. I really am. Someone once said, and, and, it, and they said it like this, that we're not defined by a donkey or an elephant, but we're defined by a lamb. And that really changes everything, doesn't it? One ultimate authority, and that is Christ. And from that, we honor everyone. Everyone. We honor everyone. I think that's powerful. Then there's no exemptions to that. 
So living as free servants of God is not a license for me to do wrong, but it's an amazing license for you and I to do right, is what he's talking about, to do good. Yes, it's not an open season for me to just simply say everything that I want about everybody and feel that that's okay because I'm free to do that. That's not it at all. I've been set free to serve another. That's exactly why we're set free. We're set free to serve another. We have been set free to serve Christ. Understand that. And with that comes a license for you and I to do good, for simply to make our culture a better place to live, for simply to reach out to those that are hurting, for me to stand up for those that are experiencing injustice within their lives, for me to simply stand up against unfairness, for me to say, I respect your office as a leader, but I do stand against your unjust policies. We have a responsibility in this life. We do. So what does subjection look like for a Christ follower? Here's four things. Here they are. You know, I'm a linear thinker, so I like steps. So here they are. Four things. The first is, what does subjection look like for the Christ follower? It's lived out through respect and honor. That's it. It's lived out through respect and honor is what it is. That we may not agree with everything another individual sees or says or does, but we can respect their God-given office. A second thing is this. It's accomplished through living as free people in Christ. That you and I live under new management. That Christ is the ultimate authority within all of our lives. It is. And so I honor others and respect others because Christ is the ultimate authority in my life. The third is this. That we submit to authority, but never disobey the commands of God. Do you hear that? That we submit to authority, but we never disobey the commands of God. Because there may be times in our life, even here at this church, that we would be commanded to do something that would be against the commands of God. And at that moment, we draw the line and say, no, enough. We will not do that at any cost whatsoever. We will never cross that line. The fourth is this, that we honor everyone. And it is never dishonoring leadership to speak up against evil and injustice. Never. So let me move on. Verse 18. Does it get better? Eh. You'd be the judge of that. Verse 18. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect. Not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. Now, I have to say something to you. Don't misunderstand Peter, because in no way is Peter endorsing slavery at all. And understand, in Roman provinces, like he was writing to these exiles, these pocket of believers, that slavery looked very much different there than what you have the mind of what slavery looks like. That slavery there was more on the line of economics than it was that of ethnicity. And so if you owed someone money, and you could not pay that, then you were bonded to them as a slave or servant and you worked off that debt. You worked off that debt and then at some point you were emancipated or you could buy your emancipation. You could do that. So it looks very different. But yet, he brings up the topic. And I think that to gloss over that would be an injustice to the Scriptures. So I want to talk to you about that for just a moment. What does the Bible say about slavery? What does the Bible say about slavery? First of all, let me tell you, for those of you in the room that think 
slavery has been abolished from this world, you are mistaken. You are grossly mistaken. Slavery is alive and well across the globe. Yet many different forms, but alive and well. And I would say to you that slavery in any form is polar opposite of honoring everyone and it's absolutely sinful, wrong, and inhumane. What does the Bible say about it? Exodus 21 and 16. Shared this text with you last year. Exodus 21 and 16. Whoever steals a man and sells him, and whoever, found, whoever or anyone found in possession of him shall be what? Put to death. I think that's plain. This is how God sees slavery. whether it's in the past, the present, or the future. I read an article this week. It says that it's an estimated estimated 21 to 45 million people across our planet wake up every day in slavery. You say, I'm glad I live in America. Can I tell you something? This morning, if the stats are correct, and they're probably older stats, this morning... 400,000 or more, mostly women and children, woke up in slavery in this very country we live in because of human trafficking. You and I have a responsibility. We can't fade into the background quietly as exiles and believers in this culture And just hang out until Jesus returns. That is not what this teaching is about at all. But what also he is saying to us. And and, and I love this because. let Let me go back for a moment. Is that the very last verse. Of 1 Peter chapter 5. Verse 14. The very last verse of this book. It says. Greet one another with the kiss of love. And what I love about this. Is that in the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, it so reflects what he's talking about here. That in these pockets of exiles, that you would have free and you'd have bond servants that would come together and worship. And so what you have is you have free people kissing bond servants. I love that. And so what that means is this. What that means is that in the body of Christ, in the kingdom of God, that we are all equal in the sight of God. Understand that. And we say that a lot, right? We say that, that we're all equal in the sight of God. And God sees us as all equal. But can I tell you something to add a little more to that? Not only does God see us as being equal and equal, of equal value, but you and I as redeemed creations of God, that we must see all people as that of being equal and valued. And so we kiss each other with, I love that text, right? A kiss of love. So we're going to practice that right now, okay? So get ready, okay? This is what we're going to do. No, I'm just kidding, okay? And some of you are thinking, I've been ready for this all day, you know? Hmm. Wait a minute, I drank coffee. Let me get a mint. I have to get a mint, right, you know? And, and, so, and, and so it's a beautiful picture of the kingdom of God for you and I, of value and equality among us. But why does he talk about slavery here? Why? Because he brings this very personal to us. How do I respond to those moments of my own life when I'm treated unjustly, right? How do I respond to those moments? 
How to respond to those moments when I'm treated unfairly. How to respond to those moments when I have given the facts, but yet they won't be heard. How do I, how do I respond to those moments when I've tried to, to talk my way in, into somebody's acceptance, but that doesn't work at all, and I'm still treated unfairly? How do I, and that's why he brings this up about slavery, right? Because that of a bondservant in this kind of relationship that no matter what they say or do, they can't change things. So how do I function those moments, no matter what I say or no matter what I do, changes the situation? How do I function in those kinds of situations? What do I do with that? And he says very plainly, honor everyone, is what he says. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. And if you can get your hands around their neck, choke them. That's not what it says, right? It doesn't say that. No, let me check. Wait. No, it's not there. If I would have been Peter, I would have wrote that in there. Yes, but it's not there. No. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. And then he says, because this is a gracious thing. And I thought, what does he mean by that? It means that God is working a far greater work in our lives for a far greater purpose. Understand that. He's working things through us in the moments of our suffering, in the moments when you are taken advantage of, in the moments when you are treated unfairly in this life, in the moments when you give out so much but you get nothing back. You ever been in that kind of relationship? In the moment where no matter how much good that you do toward them, that you are returned with evil upon evil. Uh, You've been there. You know what I'm talking about. What do you do in those moments? You love everyone. You love the brotherhood. You fear God and you honor the emperor because God is working something even greater through those moments in your life that just as Christ's sufferings on the cross had such great implications for you and I through their act of redemption, that my suffering in this world has great redemptive implications on those around me because they see how I function in that and they see how I continually love when I'm not loved back or I give when I'm not giving back or I continually do good when all everything come back to me is bad. And what I'm doing, I'm making Christ known in my life. Through my suffering. And he calls it a gracious thing. And the gospel is revealed. Let me finish verse 21. Here's how he starts this out. For to this you have been called. Underline that. That's powerful. For this you have been called. Because Christ also suffered for you. Leaving you an example. So that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that he, he might, or we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, he said but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. To this you have been called. What, is, what does he mean? What is Peter saying to you? And I, to this you've been called. And when I realize that he says that before he talks about the crucifixion of Christ, that makes me nervous, right? 
And they, what, what is he talking about? Am I really called to all these things that Christ went through? What is he saying? So I begin to look through there and I begin to find these nuggets as to what Christ exemplifies in here. He says that we find that Jesus was, he was absolutely patient through all this process. That he commits himself to the one who judges justly so that he knows who's in control. That Father God always has, to, has the last word in everything is what he's simply saying. So I don't give up. I don't quit. No, he continues to do good when no good is ever shown to him. He brings salvation and healing to the world through his wounds. To this I've been called. And it took my mind to the book of Matthew. And chapter 18 is where Jesus comes upon soon to be disciples and and he are chapter four, verse 18. And he comes upon these soon to be disciples. What does he say to them? They're fishing. What does he say to them? Follow what? Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And we always really get hung on the fishers of men part, right? But what does he mean when he says, follow me? What is that? What does that mean to you and I? What does following Jesus look like for you? That's a huge question, I think. What does following Jesus look like for you? I think for a moment that you should sit in that question just for a second. What does following Jesus look like for you? And I think, boy, our mind races, right? It goes to a lot of different places. When I read this and I consider he's talking to his disciples, I I think that, well, maybe it was that they were to write all these, these books for our current canon of Scripture. So that's what he's talking about. Or they're to preach great sermons or they're to have these huge, massive meetings with people about share the gospel. But when I realize how he's worded this, to this you have been called, he's talking about that as an exile in this world, I'm being called to be patient. Yeah. I'm patient in this life, in the struggles of life. I'm patient with those around me. He calls me to trust God who judges justly. So that I realize that when I am judged unjustly. And when I am treated unfairly. That's not the last word. That God has the last word. That I continue to do good when good is not shown back to me in return. And the last thought hits me so strongly, I think, that I realize that, that through the wounds of my life, through the suffering of my life, through those moments of injustice in my life, through those moments when I have been treated unfair, through those moments when I have been rejected, through those moments when I have simply been harmed and hurt by others, through those moments and my reaction to those moments, the gospel is made known. So in reality, in my life, through the wounds of my very life, my life, the gospel is being made known. How can we follow in his suffering? How can we follow in his suffering if we first don't understand how he suffered for us? I think that's huge. Because every time I find myself in that moment, every time I find myself in that place where I am treated unjustly and unfairly, every time I find myself in that place where I try to, you know, I I, I try to, Give the facts, but they won't hear the facts. 
Every time in those moments of my life where I try to do good, but it's never returned to me. And I say, God, I don't see how you're working in this. Lord, I don't see how this is any, in any way presenting the gospel to the world around you. God, just simply make this okay. Make everything great, you know, Lord, that kind of deal. And, and, or, Lord, just vanquish all of my enemies. That would be easier, right? Just, just wipe all of my enemies out in this life, and then it would be much easier. And, and what I realize is that I come back to the cross. I come to that place the birthplace of the gospel for you and I. I come back to that moment, and when I see the suffering of Christ, it gives me the parameters to live my life in. And what I realize is that truly in those moments of suffering in my life, that God is doing a redemptive work in someone else's life. And so how do I navigate those moments? Because I'm not superhuman, right? I'm I'm not like... The fact that, you know, my armor is so thick in my life that, that I don't, I'm not harmed. I'm my, I get hurt. I get hurt. So what do I do? And Peter places this story about the cross for a reason here. Because what I do is I turn my gaze upon the cross. That's it. I look at the cross. I see the suffering that Christ has endured for me and for you. And then I realize that he is working a redemptive work in my life, even in those moments when it doesn't make everything okay, even in those moments when I am unjustly treated or unfairly treated, that simply I look at the cross and realize there's something greater being worked in my life than what I can see. Verse 15 says this, For this is the will of God, I, I didn't come this morning to debate this with you. I did, it's not for a discussion. This part of it is not. Because he says, this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. That God has not called me to fade into the background. He's not called me to simply... Just keep my mouth closed and wait till he returns and boy, will he straighten everybody out. No. He has given me a responsibility here in this life, in this world. To do good. To honor and respect leadership. And leadership has a responsibility to lead justly. And when that responsibility is not met to lead justly, then I am to stand up for unjust or stand against unjust policies. That I am to work to make the world a better place. Until Christ comes. That I'm not going to always get my way. There are going to be moments when I am treated poorly. And God is not going to always swoop in and rescue me from all of that. But he is with me. And he is working a greater work in my life through those tough moments of my life. 
if you leave with anything today, I pray that you leave with a sense of responsibility. A sense of respect and honor. An understanding that when things are done unjustly, that you stand up against that and that is not disrespect for leadership. And as God works through you, that you love your neighbor powerfully as yourself. And he'll be known in this world. So for a moment, would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Those of you that are baptismal candidates this morning, you can go to the lobby. But let me pray with you and pray for you for a moment. Father, there are times in our lives when your words are truly even more like a a double-edged sword. Those moments when they cut to our very heart and our very souls. Those moments when it lays to bear those areas in our lives that need some attention. Father, as you know in your sovereign ways, this is one of those moments. God, this is one of those moments when we are brought to a realization that our words matter whether they're spoken or printed that our behavior does matter in this life and God you know we're extremely imperfect and thank you Lord because of the resurrection you're not keeping score and there's grace but yet God we're not going to presume on that grace but we have a responsibility that you've given us God God that we're responsible for the world around us for people we're responsible to our leaders and our authorities over us to show honor and respect God, we're responsible to stand up against times when there is unjust policies. God, we're responsible to stand for the unborn. Responsible to stand for the value and the equality of all people. God, we're responsible to take a stand for the sanctity of marriage. God, I'm responsible for I'm a neighbor. I'm responsible for when they're hungry or when they are struggling in sorrow.
God, I'm responsible for the person I've never met before, but you've spoken to my heart to go invest in their lives. I'm responsible. I'm responsible for the way I act and react when I'm treated wrongly. Because God, all of this points back to you because you are the ultimate authority in our lives so today Father forgive us for the times we've turned our heads forgive us for the moments we've walked away forgive us for the moments when we didn't practice generosity Lord forgive us for the moments when we lashed out because We thought that they deserved that. But God, never please give us what we deserve. Forgive us for the moments when we have shown disrespect for offices that you've established. God, let us make you known. Because governments... And nations will all pass away. One day they'll be all forgotten. But souls that you have created will live for eternity. Let that be our focus, Father. Thank you. By the power of your spirit, we step today into the responsibility that you have given us. In your name we pray.